And now, coming to you live from our coast-to-coast trading desk, this is Moby.co Live. As always, I'm your host, Peter Star Northrop, bringing you a really awesome conversation today, folks. We're going to be talking a lot about the crypto dip. We're going to be getting into a couple of key earnings calls and some experiences we're having in, like, the whole DeFi space. I'm also excited to be joined by Justin Kramer, our chief analyst and co-founder here at Moby.co. I mean, I really hate that uh, this podcast is basically leading off with crypto every week, but at the same time, all of the biggest <laughs> and most interesting moves right now are happening in crypto. If you're an investor, you can you know feel secure in your stock market investments. There's nothing too wild going on there. But crypto is just pandemonium. What was it? $400 billion worth of crypto's $3 trillion market cap was sold off in a matter of minutes this week as new legislation has been announced and, base- and ratified both for infrastructure but also for a bunch of really wild tax regulations in the crypto space. So over the last you know four days, we have seen just a wild sell-off. Justin, what are your thoughts here? Is it a buy the dip or is it like take your profits and get out type situation? Like what are we dealing with in terms of thinking about seeing our crypto space get regulated here, dude? Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you in the sense that I hate to be starting off every single podcast with crypto, but it's just trending right now. It's everywhere. It's kind of hard to ignore. And as investors in the stock market, private markets, in real estate, in crypto, we're going to talk about things that uh, that people care about. It's why, uh, why you guys hopefully listen to us. But outside of that, you know, exactly to your question, I fully agree. Um, right now, we're seeing regulation in, in slow parts, you know, start to be introduced as part of the whole broader infrastructure bill. And obviously, a lot of people are going to be looking more at like the buildings of roads and tunnels and airports and all the infrastructure you need, which is amazing. I don't think many people are denying that. Um, but there was some stuff that was snuck in there about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And so to your point, there's some tax implications. And there's also some implications for um, people who are miners, people who are providing wallets, who are now getting put under this certain what we'll call broker definition. And we actually just published a piece on this on our blog, on our paid member site. Um, so definitely check it out if you guys haven't seen it yet. We're sending an email out on it shortly. Um, but basically, the long story short is there is there's a bunch of politicians who feel on both sides of the fence. Um, some are pro-Bitcoin and pro-crypto. Others are on the other side of the fence. And even the ones who are on the same side of the fence can't seem to agree with the best way to move forward. And so when the bill got passed on Monday, there was a direct response in terms of crypto immediately selling off. And it was in large part due to what was happening there. And we've seen a lot of the people blame other reasons. But I mean, this is really like cause and effect right here with, with these two things. And so, again, this is just one of many things that will happen. And, you know, there'll be some favorable outcomes. There'll be some unfavorable outcomes. But the net takeaway from this is that we're we're just going to continue buying, continue adding to our position. We've been in it since about 2013, 2014. Um, and any time we get dips, we add to it. And so our cost basis, unfortunately, is moving up since then. But I think gone are the days in the, in the single digits um, for us to add exposure to. So, again, just looking to continue to add any excess liquidity in times of weakness. Um, so, yeah, this isn't really a... A punch at the at the face, if you will, by any means. And uh, exactly, and it's one of those things where, like, you get to you get a sense of just the newness in crypto. A lot of times we talk about the momentum of in- more institutional players entering the crypto space, and this is an example of what happens when perhaps more speculative folks exit the crypto space because the minute. Anybody talks about regulation, you see a certain class of investors just immediately bail. 
Um, like one of them, you, you can definitely sense that one of the main reasons a lot of folks who may be more advanced investors were in the crypto space was, you know, this lack of regulation. The fact that anybody can just, you know, set up a DEX and do some staking has been a wild thing to do for a while. And so it's really um, interesting watching, you know, the, the deck chairs shift and as people who actually believe in crypto are now going to be the primary investors. I personally see regulation as a good thing and, you know, hopefully will help with rug pulls. It'll hopefully help with, um, you know, other, other small issues and over time stabilize the market and allow it to go up in the way that it's supposed to. But that's me speaking as a product of like the public education system. So maybe I've been brainwashed. You don't know. <laughs> um, but, but, but the major thing is I'm, I'm excited to see this. I'm also excited to see how, um, you know, the DeFi space specifically can push back and potentially, you know, re, uh, not necessarily rewrite, but like advocate for some fairer uh, rules and regulations when it comes to staking specifically when it comes to DAOs and such. Because uh, the fact that like um, it's so easy to like set up a taxable event and set up like an IRS report is going to be very difficult for innovation moving forward. But it's all honestly very exciting just seeing the door being opened. And what is it, Justin? Like none of this goes live until 2024 anyway, right? Like this is all people yeah, being so like, we- ah, I'm scared. Of something that'll happen in two years. No, <laughs> no. I mean, this is still this is still years away. But it's like to a lot of people, like the the frightening event is that this is like the first step or the second step in like what's to be many steps. And so, like, inevitably, more regulation is to come. Um, I would be very, very shocked if like it's the wild west how it is today forever. Um, but again, just something that you know is scaring people. But we're I, I, we're not too concerned for it for the time being until like there's real, real crackdowns. Exactly. And like to, to really, you know, n- narrow that down too. like you, you've trained me well. I did jump on Solana when it went all the way down to 195 briefly. It went all the way down to 186 and I got in on it a little bit too before the actual like bottom of the dip. I think you got it at 192. So it's one of those things where like certain trend lines might bounce back. Uh, so I'm very excited for that. But I'm waiting. Justin, do you think can we get to 30K Bitcoin? Do you think we can get all the way back to July and then, you know, just restart this whole bull run later? <laughs> I mean, I wish it's like, obviously that would scare a lot of people and it would scare us. And like, I, in theory, that'd be great because we could add at a cheaper price, but obviously saying that now versus seeing it actually happen, well, you know, people would be probably calling for the, the end is near, the end is near. So I don't think it'll happen. But again, this is something that we've reiterated all the time is anyone who's saying they know what the price is going to fall or drop to in the immediate future, it's, it's impossible. All we can say is that we believe in the wrong, long run and until things fundamentally change, anytime there's extreme weakness like and our conviction holds, we're going to add to it. And so it's really hard to like separate out logical moves from like behavior-based moves. Um, but I'm sure all of you here who are listening probably have looked at things saying, oh, I should buy this. I know it's going to go up. It goes up and then you kick yourself. So just got to continue to be kind of rules-based, ignore the emotion, take it out of it. it it ends up biting you in the ass a lot of the times playing into that, honestly, that fear and greed, fear of missing out and greed of not getting upside. That That is probably the two biggest detriments for most people. Precisely. And it's one of those things like that's how you learn over time how uh, some of those things are fear and greed. Like my main thing was learning that uh, during 2017 when I jumped in on a bunch of just truly idiotic altcoins thinking they were going to be like, you know, the next Doge or like the next, like we had, nobody had heard of Shiba Inu by then, but I was trying to find uh, a Shiba Inu upside potential. And I just, I got, I got burned real bad and I realized I was being greedy. Like stick to the, stick to the basics. Um, if you find altcoins that are like small and have good upside, you know, do those small incremental investments and hope for the best. And that's one of those things 
things that like you, you only really learn that by investing consistently. So I think that's a really good place to like think about that. Like it's not necessarily the, the main part of the dip yet, but obviously buy the dip, but stick to, you know, the institutional plays that you feel like will have merit long term. It's always going to be playing that long term game. It's gonna be the most boring thing I say. You're going to hear me say it, you know five times a podcast, five times a YouTube video. And if you see me in person, I'll be like five year upside. Like it's just, it's just the whole mantra right now, but getting more into, you know, more traditional investments, you know, we still had some really strong earnings this week. Like, uh, it's a really boring time in the stock market considering that Thanksgiving is next week. So business is kind of like, you know, ramping down before exploding on black Friday. And like we do that big sprint to Christmas, but I want to get into some of those earnings calls and just get your view, Justin, in terms of the services space. I think one thing that's been really under reported is just how we're at a really good opportunity point with Twilio specifically. And I'd love to get your insight here because Twilio has been dropping pretty sharply uh, in the past month. And it's just been kind of like a choppy roller coaster, but you still believe really strongly in the fundamentals. So based on the report that you did earlier this week, Justin, I'd love to hear more about that. Like what's going on with Twilio? What's going on with these more traditional stocks? We're seeing all that volatility right now, but what makes, what makes Twilio a good bet moving forward still? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, and, and, a lot of investors, like including us, were scared at first in terms of seeing what they announced, what the short-term guidance would be, and ultimately how investors responded to that with seeing like kind of that large sell-off. And so that's an example, like when you start seeing forward-looking guidance changing, that we start then going back to the drawing board and thinking, is this something we still have conviction in? And so when things don't change, we don't do that. But in this case, when things did change, we had to sit there and be like, is something really going on here? And so the biggest things that we saw was this dip in growth, and that's what scared everyone. And so when we started peeling back the layers more and realizing, you know, does Twilio still have that competitive advantage? The answers were 100% yes. And so a lot of the short-term headwinds in terms of not almost not having tailwinds anymore as it relates to COVID was what was scaring investors, and that's why they were cautioning everyone. But when you look at their platform, they're like in a transitional period last, right now. So they've historically been an API first platform where developers can go in and leverage their infrastructure to ultimately build out like these more robust skills, tools, um, and platforms for like B2B and B2C businesses. And so that's who they've always been historically and that's how they've grown and been successful. But right now they're kind of in that transitional period, which is leading to that kind of low in growth that their management team alluded to. And that is as they transition to more of a, not just an API platform, but also a platform that people are able to start personalizing experiences and using like their data on top of their, their technology. And so they've made a bunch of acquisitions over the last several years. And this is when they're starting to like stand up those products in totality, start to integrate them in. And so naturally with investments like that, there's going to be lulls in like efficiency and it'll take time to figure it out. And that's where they kind of are going to be over the next six to 12 months. But past that, yes, there are question marks. But again, this only, if anything, gives us more confidence in the long run for this company. And so anything that's in the short run, we're just essentially going to shrug off, continue to add to our position. And we have added to our position in the weakness. And we actually think now over the longer term, the upside is even higher. And we think it's going to come faster than, than most people realize. So long story short, this is still and always has been one of our favorite stocks. Um, you know, obviously we, we, we can be wrong, um, but this has been a stock that's been doing very well over the last few years. And, you know, we really anticipate kind of holding the stock over the next decade until things change. 
And it's one of those things, too, where it's really important to keep in mind the market forces that might be driving a stock like Twilio up eventually. And for, for us, it's one of those things where it's going to be a very long trend line as the traditional advertising media complex is taking a hit from Apple's iOS uh, 14 point whatever update, and wherein it's very hard for people, for advertisers, for brands, for anyone to track conversions across the whole internet. So it's going to be a game of like finding new players in the customer engagement space. If you can't do this via Facebook, you have to rely on your own data. So companies like Twilio really empower that. So it's one of those things where like Facebook is going to, con unless Facebook can like nail this metaverse rebrand and like completely change the whole nature of the internet, they are going to start eventually gradually losing revenue, losing more users, losing more of the advertising play, and that money is going to have to go somewhere, and so it's going to go to people trying to convert as best as possible. That's why Twilio is a, a, an interesting play. That's why this Braze IPO this week was pretty pretty interesting. I was very surprised to see them go up 44% after not really anticipating much from it, so very exciting to see where a lot of these sort of like second-tier advertisers come in. This is where a lot of the real money is going to be made. These boring kind of hard to understand data plays that help brands and other advertisers get as much value out of their advertising spend as possible, but considering that they can't really go to the one-stop shop that is the Facebook ads marketplace anymore, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, that, that totally makes sense. But speaking of, you know, stocks that are, you know, doing not not performing super well, but like doing great on the fundamental side. Another great earnings call this week was SoFi. They're down a little bit today um, after a solid earnings call yesterday. Um, and you're really excited about it, Justin, despite, you know, the stock, the market not really reacting well. So I'm curious about the fundamentals there. It's one of the, again, like not quite a buy the dip scenario, but one of those things where like there's a lot of volatility just in the market itself. And SoFi has been hurting from that in the last 24 hours specifically. But that earnings call was on. Awesome, and I want to get your thoughts there specifically. You know, it was, it was really good. And so when they reported last week, we saw kind of this pop up from, I think it was around the 20 mark up until 22, 23. And then there's been a, a bit of a sell-off over the last, uh, you know, over the last few days since like roughly the 15th. And so, again, I think the market is just digesting the, the, the upside we've seen over the last uh, month or two in terms of like this massive run-up in price. And so... About a month or two ago, when we first recommended it, we were a little bit ahead, uh, fortunately, of uh, the news cycle. But now that they've started to, like, the opportunity's been started to be digested by the market and people are understanding it. And we see this with every stock. It's like there are run ups and then there's pullbacks when things get overbought. And so, like, SoFi is a good example of that. Rivian's another, Lucid's another. Anything that goes up that fast inevitably has to come down. We talk about volatility all the time. And so, in periods like this, when things start to sell off a bit, you know, I'm not too concerned about it. Our analysts aren't too concerned about it. Again, another opportunity for us to start adding to our position. And so the biggest things we saw from the earnings report was that their lending business was driving our performance, their accounts were growing, and they started making like the proper investments for the next year. Um, and when you really think about like their lending, which we've talked about at the core of their business, and lending being still at a headwind given like the rent moratorium, or not the rent moratorium, rather. There's a lot of moratoriums going on, but this is the, the loan moratorium. Um, the fact that that's still going on and they're still able to grow lending about what people thought, again, just really speaks to like the growth and the stability of this company and is, you know, is going to be someone, again, we still fundamentally believe in. And so the earnings report was nothing but amazing. And we think in Q1, Q2, when the moratorium ends and they start reporting what numbers actually look like, again, we're going to see, I think, another run up next year. And that's why we're we're increasing our price target um, as I think investors and, and the rest of the market are starting to catch on to the opportunity. 
Exactly, yeah. It's one of those things where now's the time to get in. And audience, I want to make sure that you have a lot of opportunities here as well. So like, as we get to the back half of this, I want to keep, keep in mind that we try to keep these tight. We try to keep these to be 30 minutes uh, specifically, so like 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. But I don't want that to have you, have you just... I don't want that to discourage you from... Uh, setting anything up here. So main thing I want you to keep in mind, audience, if you have any questions at all, you can check us out over in that voice chat. There's already a great discussion there. There's this whole side talk that I'd love to jump on. I don't think we have time, though, about, you know, what things going down in the video game industry, specifically Act Eye Vision and how things are kind of falling apart. But I don't want to, you know, get too too deep into that because that's an entirely me thing. Um, it's, a lot of, it's a really interesting time, like, with relationships between Microsoft and a bunch of other publishers. So I'll let you just kind of check that out and, like, hit us up in that voice chat. I want to, you know, go back to crypto, though, because just and you've had like a really interesting experience this week. You've done some really interesting analysis on a particular NFT project, and you actually put your money where your mouth was um, in terms of jumping on an interesting project here. So I'd love to hear more about like what you're thinking about in terms of the NFT space, specifically when we're thinking about all this regulation happening, but also like what your experience was jumping on the non-fungible fungi, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, totally. And this is... Uh unpopular publicly but i would say popular privately opinion in the fact that a lot of these nfts are ultimately going to go to zero they people talk about these projects as if they're projects and they're not actually cash grabs which unfortunately is what a lot of these are and we've actually had people reach out to us because we do have a little bit of influence we do have a little bit of reach ask us if we can get on call discuss their project get to the bottom of it and see if we'd recommend it and so we've taken the calls just from a curiosity of learning. And from a lot of people we've talked to, a lot of the projects we've come to realize are literally just pump and dumps. And it, you know, a lot of it's speculation on the outside, but then after for us getting on the call and hearing it firsthand from projects that have already a big following, like just, you know, firsthand shows me that a lot of what we and others are thinking is very real. And so having said that, there are still projects that are are real or they're they're real enough that we feel comfortable making the risk because the upside is so large. And so a good example of that is a project we just recommended, <clears throat> excuse me, just recommended yesterday, which is this non-fungible <laughs> fungi, which is uh, effectively a, a mushroom NFT. And, you know, it feels even ridiculous saying that out loud. But after spending some time with the guys who started the project, reading more about it, seeing the traction they have, seeing like the use cases, you know, this is when we realize, hey, this actually is something that has real merit and potentially would warrant an investment. And so we got involved and we've been very fortunate to do well in the NFT space so far. But I would say out of every single, like out of every hundred projects we see, we probably say no to 99 of them. And so this is the 1% that like kind of fell within that. And so people who've been in the Discord, they've seen other NFT projects we've talked about, but Again, this is something that we we try and stay away from as much as possible unless the opportunity makes sense to just, it's not worth the risk reward for us for a lot of these. Um, and so this mushroom one in particular, they they sold out of the original 100 very quickly. The floor is around five, six Ethereum today. And they sold these mint passes, which essentially gives you access to the next mint of the other 10,000 mushrooms. And so when you look at the floor, like I said, at five, 6,000, and you look at how much it costs to buy one of these passes, which is around 0 0.2, 0 0.3 ETH, the risk reward starts to make a lot of sense. And so naturally with only 100 existing NFTs, I would have to imagine the floor is gonna come down. But even so, 
it would have to come down roughly 85% for even, you even a break even on buying one of these passes. And so, again, definitely possible, but given the traction they have and the community they've built, I'd be very surprised to see that happen. And that's why we got in and bought a few jars of ourselves. Just A, as a learning experience, B, to support it and C, see where, where it goes over time. Again, like there's going to be some real projects and real success that comes out of this space, even though a lot of it um, is going to ultimately go to zero, which is not the answer people. It is the truth. Exactly. And it's one of those things we're still discovering exactly what the value in NFTs are. And the thing that really makes... Uh, this project, very interesting, is rather than, you know, jumping in on a mint itself, you jump in on that mint pass, right? Which allows mm -hmm. you to kind of get in on potentially minting, you know, something more valuable or less valuable in terms of its scarcity, which is how NFTs derive their value. You're not literally buying a mushroom, although that would be very cool. Uh, you know, you're buying like a 3D model of a mushroom. And it's like, it's silly to say, but like you're buying, a, you're, you're staking a spot on the blockchain if you want to think about it more literally. And so it's a very interesting way of like thinking thinking about how we transfer value. Um, I'm also excited for regulation to come in and make sure that NFTs are used for more things than money laundering. Um, that's, that's the major thing right now. Um, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this doesn't feel like tulip mania all over again. This feels more like a new, a new asset class that has a lot of really interesting real-world potential and real-world value. It's just there needs to be a lot more scale to lots of these various NFT projects. So I'm excited to see it moving forward. But the main thing you want to look at, audience, if you're thinking about this, is how do you determine whether or not an a NFT project is a rug is going to be a rug pull, pump and dump, or whatever? Check out the community. Like the, uh, NFT projects are made out of the people that invest in them. And so if you're seeing like an active community, people talking a lot, people engaged with it, that's how you're going to der derive value over time because the community is what creates the value. In much the same way that so much of the market's value is to Derived from sentiment, so many people believing in the stock market. If enough, P if a NFT project has a big enough community, you can derive a lot of value from that, and the value of these projects will go up over time. So that's one of the core, like, high-level theses. Obviously, there's a lot more stuff down in the technicals that make it really interesting. But like, if you look at the high level, it's kind of checking all the high-level boxes. Is that, is that a way, good way of looking at it, uh, Justin? Yeah, no, I think that's a good summation of it, honestly. Um, I mean, it's like I don't want to be the guy in the room saying that, like. Don't, don't, uh, in the eighties or nineties, don't get involved in the internet. It's dumb. And then the internet is obviously what it is today. I, I'm not saying that at all. And we're not saying that NFTs are dumb. Crypto is dumb. Like uh, I've been an investor in it for <laughs> close to like a decade now. I'm just saying that like, just like the dot-com bubble where there was a handful of companies that went out of business and there were a handful of companies that did really well. It's the same thing now. So you just got to be really smart and thoughtful. Um, about the projects you get involved in and, and realize why you're getting involved, what your entry is, what your exit is, and just have the point. That's it's kind of the, the summary of what we're trying to say. The economy is never finished. Just because you feel like the internet has kind of achieved everything it's going to achieve, that just means you're not thinking in terms of uh, what the next thing is going to be. Progress never stops. So I'm very excited to see exactly how NFTs become an anchoring point in this new kind of wild, like metaverse-esque or you know community-based decentralized internet as we move forward. Either way, we're getting really close to the end here, and I want to make sure that I can hit up some of the questions I've gotten in my DMs. Uh, great conversation in voice chat. Again, if this was a straight business podcast, Podcast, I'd be talking all day about just how gangster Microsoft has been this week and how everything's falling <laughs> apart at Activision, but we don't have that kind of time. Uh, Justin, I do have one just like hot take, like right off the top of your head. Um, I got a, I got a DM. People are really interested um, in this Sweet Green IPO. I did not expect Silence to do so well, but Sweet Green is up 70, 76% um, off its debut. 
Um, couple, a couple of fun facts here. Like in the fiscal year of 2020, they had a net loss of 141 million on revenue of 220.6 million. Um, they've, they, their, their sales are down, but things are starting to recover. Uh, do we invest in salads or do we, uh, what are your thoughts in terms of like investing in physical restaurant retail at the end of 2021? Yeah. I mean, I've always been as an investor skeptical to invest in those types of companies. There are definitely like brands within the restaurant space that we have gotten involved with. Uh, Yum Brands was a company we fortunately have done well with and they have a bunch of brands underneath them. But ultimately a lot of the reason those do successful is less so about like the value add in terms of like the product itself and it's more so about the brand they've built. And so Sweetgreen is kind of a good example of that in terms of trying to ultimately become like the McDonald's of their generation, which is, I think is something their co-founder has come out and said in terms of like saying, okay, McDonald's was all about fast food and that's what was important 10, 20, 30 years ago, but healthy food is so much more important to the next generation of people. Let's become the McDonald's of healthy food. And so if they're able to achieve brand value and brand recognition like that, there's no reason over time that they can't achieve the same success McDonald's has. So when you look at McDonald's stock over the last, you know, even five years, it's up, you know, a hundred percent, which isn't a ton, but since inception, it's up 30,000%. And so that's obviously a good growth story. And so I'm not sitting here saying sweet green is going to be the next McDonald's, but they're, and this is what investors are seeing in the market right now. They're seeing like a real opportunity for a company like them to do so. And I think they're one of the, the first companies in the last, you know, five years that, from a food perspective, are in a position to do that. So will they? I, I don't know yet. I think it's a little too early for us to say, but it's definitely the path they're going down. That's why the stock really popped in terms of kind of the long-term outlook and implications for what they're bringing to market from like a brand value perspective. And exactly. And it's also just like, they're one of the only new sort of like uh, physical space food companies that's really trying to like iterate and innovate in the space where they can, right? Like they looked at, you know, mm -hmm. Uber Eats coming in and saying, hey, uh, I'm going to take, you know, what, 15, 30% right off the top of all of your revenue uh, if you deliver with me. And Sweetgreen's like, that's terrible. I'm going to build my own delivery infrastructure. I'm going to partner with every building in Los Angeles and New York City and put a Sweetgreen shelf there so that we only have to send one guy at one time to every building in the entire country. Um, I, think it's, I think it's absolutely ingenious. I think, I think they've done really well. I think they are they can they're more agile than most you know restaurant companies salad is you know not easier but certainly in a lot of ways simpler than a lot of other food places so i'm very excited to see them go moving forward but i'm not you know at a point where i can make a price target or anything but either way justin that is bringing us right up to the edge of time any final thoughts from you man i mean again awesome conversation audience thank you so much for bringing us so many interesting questions and so many interesting perspectives but justin anything on your end before i go ahead and uh, start closing this out here yeah, I'd say the last thing, like kind of how we started in terms of crypto, and we're, we're seeing it right now, uh, Bitcoin hitting like the 57,000 range, 58,000, that's sub 60. I mean, in the short term, that's definitely not good in terms of like day over day, week over week. Again, as we started the conversation, as we're ending it now, this is something we still fundamentally believe in. So if it does kind of cross that 57, 56, 55 threshold, we could see another move downwards. And again, that's a good time to in our opinion, to add exposure, we still fundamentally believe in the long term. But in the short term for the crypto world, we might be moving into a bit of a, a short lived bear market. It's tough to say, we're, but we're at an interesting inflection point. So it's, let's definitely watch out on that. 
Exactly. And the main thing to keep in mind, audience, is that Q4 is the moment in the economy where the most energy is in the economy. Sometimes that in, in you know, less insane periods of human history, that has just meant that the market goes up the most in Q4. Uh, during 2020 and 2021, it means that we're just seeing a lot of volatility. So keep that in mind. Whatever swings you're going to see, they're going to be massive. So if you see an upswing, it's going to be a huge upswing. If you see a downtrend, it's going to be a potentially larger downtrend as people are kind of trying to suss out those moments where they can get the best possible gains. There's all that focus, all that energy, all this money sloshing around the economy. Demand is still kind of mismatched in terms of where it was even a year and a half ago, and we're still sorting all of that out. But just kind of ride the wave. Like this, this short-term volatility doesn't mean anything. The market is still going to go up. We're still going to build a new recovery out of this. Sure, crypto is going to, you know, have some really interesting sentiment shifts as regulation starts actually hitting, but it's going to be an upward trend no matter what. I think we're in a really strong position to ride this out, get some good gains. But I'm really excited to have your perspective here and ride it out with you guys. Audience, thank you so much for being here. Justin Justin Kramer, co-founder here at Moby.co and chief analyst, thank you so much for your, all, all your perspective. Uh, audience, just so you know, this podcast was produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Star Northrop. If you want more content from us, feel free to subscribe to us on YouTube. I'm actually desperate for you to subscribe on YouTube right now. We're very close to 1,000 subscribers, and that's the first real milestone before we start becoming an air quotes real YouTube channel. So if you want to help us out there, I'd love to... I'd love to see that. Otherwise, if you have any other questions moving forward, we will be doing this, you know, every week still. We're going to probably not do this next Thursday because that's Thanksgiving. But, you know, stay tuned for when we actually schedule it. Otherwise, audience, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for your time. And as always, I'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.